All right. Well, good morning again. If you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to open up back to the letter of 1 Corinthians. We are in our third sermon here this morning. And just to recap briefly as you are turning there, what we talked about last week, Paul was addressing divisions in the church. And we looked at a few things to consider. First, we saw that divisions were developing in the church over different leaders, and Paul has none of it. He's not going to have any of it. He's not going to have any of this kind of political swaying over which teacher is better or which one we should follow. Paul asks this really stinging rhetorical question, was Paul crucified for you? In other words, Paul is saying, what has this leader done for you? No, we are all servants of the Lord Jesus. Who is the one that we are saved by? And we are in him. So to divide in the church over leaders, Paul is going to have none of it. And we talked about how this can even happen for us today. When we position particular celebrity pastors or political allegiances that we have, and they create divisions among believers. When we celebrate Man over Christ in his church, we are not preaching the gospel. We are preaching something else. And so Paul wants us to get this very clear, that it's by Christ in who we've been baptized, and that it's Christ who's been crucified for us. And we saw last week that this doesn't mean that all divisions are off the table. Christian unity cannot be purchased at the expense of moral purity or theological integrity. This is also not the way of Christ. Jesus is the power and the wisdom of God. To deny these things is to deny the gospel. To abuse freedoms in Christ uh, at the sake of, of your freedom, it, Paul's going to say, this is not the way of Jesus. It's a denial of the gospel. And then lastly, we saw that divisions develop from a, a pride that's within us to exert power over someone else. And Paul ends this statement by saying, all boasting stops at the cross. We don't gather together at Alpine First Baptist Church to make a name for ourselves. Rather, we gather together to celebrate and point to what Jesus has done for us. So this morning, uh, we, or last week rather, we noticed that Paul doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just stop at divisions ceasing. He's not just going to be happy with divisions stopping. He pushes us for something extra, that in everything that we say, that we are perfectly united in mind and thought. If you look at verse 10 in chapter 1, Paul says this, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. And we said last week that this, this seems impossible, especially in the culture and the age in which we live in. There are so many different divisions that are among us. How on earth does Paul expect us to accomplish this. Maybe it's just hyperbole by Paul, speaking in grandeur to make a big statement to get our attention, but he's not. At the end of chapter 2 in verse 16, here's how Paul expects us to accomplish this as a group of believers, that we have the mind of Christ. And that's an even more startling statement, because I know what's in my mind a lot of times, right? Don't we all struggle with what's inside of our mind and inside of our thoughts and the things that want to sway us to certain things. So what does this mean for us to have the mind of Christ? That's what we're going to look at today. So a part of this morning, it might feel like a little bit of a repeat from last week, but it's important for us to have this running start 
to work towards the goal that Paul has for us, to be united in mind and in thought. So this morning, we're going to read a large portion of Scripture. It's going to be on your screen, but if you have your Bible open, we're going to start in verse 18 of chapter 1, and we're going to end in chapter 2 of verse 16. Paul is continuing this line of thought of what it means for us to be united in mind and thought. Now, this, is, this could be difficult for us to see, so I want to give you... Uh, just a little Bible reading tool that might help you. This has nothing really to do with the sermon. This just might be helpful for you in your quiet time as you read. Whenever we come across passages like this, we will look for the two R's. We look for repeated words and related words. So as we look through this passage, just notice what are the repeated and related words to our mind and our thought and things that we say. Just to give you a tip The things that we say will be like, we preach this, or the message is this. Uh, To think of our mind or our thought, Paul's going to use the words wisdom and foolishness. So let those stand out to you as we read this morning. Starting in verse 18, it says this. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs. And Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many influential, not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so it is with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you. I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Christ Jesus and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a wisdom, a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, it is written, what no eye has seen, 
what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the spirit does not accept these things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are not discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgment about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments, for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This morning, we're going to divide this up into two sections for us to hopefully understand the mind of Christ. And the two sections are this, the message of the cross and the mind of Christ. This is what we're going to seek to understand so that we can hopefully, as a church, be perfectly united in mind and thought. Now, we'll start back in verse 18 where it says this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. The first point is this, the message of the cross is active. Notice Paul's word choice here. He describes the church not as those who have been saved, but as those who are being saved. Now this might be confusing, but this is not to suggest that the work of Christ is fragile and that it's somehow up to us to accomplish our salvation. This would directly refute what Paul opened up the letter about us being set apart in Christ Jesus, sanctified in Christ Jesus, and being held blameless until the last day. I was speaking with a man uh, this week at Louisiana College, and somehow I was in a group of, uh, there was probably five or six of us, and it was a range of an older adult, uh, me, and some college kids, and one of the college kids spoke, spoke up, and I didn't know anybody in this, this group, and they said, what do you do for a living? I said, well, I'm a, a pastor at Alpine First Baptist Church. And he said, well, if you don't mind ask me asking, what did you preach on uh, this past Sunday? And I said, it, in 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul's working through uh, divisions. And this guy said, man, Paul, he has a lot of harsh words to say, a lot of strong words. And he said, uh, Paul even has some words to say about how uh, we are the ones, uh, that it's our good works. It's up to us and our good works to save us. And I said, wait, come again? And he said, yeah, yeah, Paul is, is telling us uh, that we must accomplish these things so that we can enter into the kingdom of heaven. And I said, you got a scripture reference for me? Because I'm, I'm missing that passage. I don't know what you're talking about. And he goes, no. He said, no, but I'll, I'll find it. I said, okay, but wait, what about the work of Jesus? And he said, well, Jesus is the one that gets us to the gate of heaven, but it's up for us to enter through the gate of heaven by our good works. Friend, this is not the gospel. 
that the gospel of Jesus Christ is that in Christ, he has accomplished what we could not do, that there is no amount of good work that could annul or nullify the sins that I have in my life. There is nothing that could bring me before a holy and righteous God except the holy and righteous work of Christ Jesus. It is not up to me. If it was, we would never, we, none of us would ever enter into the kingdom of heaven. In fact, what I shared with him is that Paul says in Corinthians that Christ is the wisdom and power of God and that he is our holiness, our righteousness, and redemption. It is only by the work of Christ Jesus. So Paul isn't backtracking here to say those who are being saved as if it is some work of our own to be saved. Rather, this is a statement, I believe, of an already not yet reality. We have been saved in Christ Jesus, but we have not experienced the full uh, realm and work of Christ Jesus when heaven and earth are back united and we are one with him. We are in the process of moving towards Christ. This means that the message of the cross is active. Part of the trouble for the church in Corinthians is that there are people that claim to have wisdom that they've already arrived. The Corinthians celebrate their own wisdom. They're celebrating something other than the gospel. They are not holding themselves fast to the message of truth. They're letting divisions separate and divide them. And Paul comes in to say, uh, quoting from Isaiah, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Paul is speaking a message against these Corinthians and the division that they're creating. Now, when Paul quotes from the Old Testament, he's not simply just using some flowery speech to make a point. What he's wanting us to do is go back to that reference and see what's happening in this passage. Isaiah 29 is what Paul is quoting, and it says this. The Lord said, Because these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their worship of me is a human commandment learned by rote. So I will again do amazing things, and with this people, shocking and amazing, the wisdom of the wise shall perish, and the discernment of the discerning shall be hidden. What's happening in the Corinthian church? By their wisdom, they are following after men that has created divisions in the church. By their own making, they're doing this. And Paul is coming in and saying, God tells you of this, you are worshiping him with your lips, but not with your lives. When you live by your own wisdom, when you create divisions in the church, you are worshiping him by your mouth, but not with your heart. Now, in this passage, Isaiah is giving a judgment against Judah, whose political and religious leaders are trusting in their own wise and realistic plans to protect their kingdom by making a military allegiance. Do you remember who they make a military allegiance with? With Egypt. Now consider this. Like Egypt is the powerful country that God has called them out of slavery. God has rescued them and by their own wisdom, they're making a military allegiance with Egypt so that Egypt can save them? Can Egypt save them? No. This is a part of their story and their history. And so where this comes for us today where this should land for us today and that the message of the cross is being active is that it confronts every area of our lives. On a very practical level, who or what is your Egypt? 
Who or what are you leaning back to, to trust in, to give you comfort, to give you military might and strength, to protect your life? What is it that you're trusting in? You know, we might think of the big things that Paul's going to say, and we might say something like, well, I trust in the, the alcohol bottle, and I go to drunkenness, or I, I trust in sexual immorality, and I just flip through my phone and look at things that I should not be looking at, just because it gives me some sort of comfort and peace. But Paul is going to drill down on some other things that he says are just as egregious when we slander one another with our words. We talked about last week or the week before about how uh, when Paul, or rather it was Saul at this point, he's on the Damascus Road, and he's going to kill Christians, and God comes up and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus sees, is so identified with his church that when Saul is attacking his church, that it's actually a persecution against Jesus. When you slander the bride of Christ, it is persecution against King Jesus. When you cause divisions among the church, and I don't mean to say when you, but when we cause divisions among the church, it is slandering against Christ Jesus. It is this Egypt alliance that we are creating. And in our own lives, we all have these little kingdoms of Egypt that we want to trust in, that we want to hold fast to because they give us some comfort or some way of life that, that gives us peace of mind. And Paul is saying, no, the message of the cross is active. Don't give your allegiance to Egypt. Give it to Christ Jesus. Don't worship him just with your mouth, but also your heart and your life. Which is the second point. The message of the cross brings about confession. The message of the cross should bring about within us this level of humility that Paul is saying. He's going to say things like, remember who you were when you were first called. You weren't wise, you weren't noble, you didn't have anything mighty. You were weak and despised among people, and Christ called you. So when we think about the cross being active and all of these things, here's the first confession we need to make about the cross of Christ. Number one, I am my biggest problem. Number one, I am my biggest problem. There is sin around me, there are bad things that have happened to me, but the biggest problem is the sin that's within me. But just like those that the prophet Isaiah is speaking out, we have a tendency to worship gods with our mouths, but be far away from him in our affections and actions. The cross confronts us in this way, that we must first admit and humbly confess that I am my biggest problem. The second confession, I am in need of rescue. Paul says this, where's the wise person? Where's the teacher of the law? Where's the philosopher of the age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? In other words, there is nothing that you can do to save yourself. You are in need of rescue. There's no amount of wisdom. There's no amount of wealth. There's no amount of anything that can get you through the gates to Christ Jesus. And the third confession that we need to make is I can't rescue myself. And Paul goes on to say, God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. Do you see that? It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us the wisdom of God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. I'm my biggest problem. I am in need of rescue and I can't rescue myself. Christ Jesus comes to do the work for me so that no man may boast. 
Church, as we gather here this morning, like we can, we can pool our money together to make Alpine's name known, but that's not it. The, the name that we are called to make known is that of King Jesus. And we can do that as we come humbly under the cross. We confess together that we are our biggest problems, that we are in need of rescue, we can't rescue ourselves, and what that does for us is it means that there's no boasting between any of us. You may struggle with one sin, I may struggle with a different sin, this side might struggle with a different sin, but we are all in need of rescue, and we come humbly to Christ Jesus. We come humbly to Christ Jesus. The message of the prophet Isaiah and the message of the cross is that we are in need of rescue and we can't rescue ourselves. There is no wisdom that saves apart from the wisdom of God, and this is the message of the cross, that God has done for us in Christ Jesus that we could not do for ourselves. God is creating a new community, his church, out of unimpressive, uh, unimpressive people precisely to exemplify his power, the power of his own unmerited grace. The social composition of the church is an outward and visible sign of God's upside-down value system. So as we look across our congregation this morning, what we should see as Alpine grows, hopefully, is we should see the outcast. We should see the despised. We should see the ones that the world does not value. We should see the weak. We should see the suffering, the hurting, the broken, because this is who God has called for us in Christ Jesus. They have nothing to value of the world by the world's standards, but God is flipping that upside down on its head, that no man may boast in anything that they are or anything that they do. We simply come to Christ Jesus. So how are we perfectly united in mind and thought first? Uh, the message of the cross is active. The message of the cross requires confession. And then, do I have a third one? I don't know that I do. Uh, but we could say something to the extent of the message of the cross does not allow boasting. And this is unique to me. Again, is that Paul is not just pulling out a verse for us to say, because that makes sense. You know, it, it, we don't need a verse to be attached. Let those who boast, boast in the Lord, like the Lord is great, powerful, almighty. Like we could get that on our own, right? But Paul is calling us to look deeper into that about who the Lord is and what exactly we should boast in. In Jeremiah 9, we read it this morning. I want to read it again for us. Thus says the Lord, do not let the wise man boast in his wisdom. Do not let the strong man boast in his strength. Do not let the wealthy man boast in his wealth. But let the one who boasts, boast in this, to understand and know that I am the Lord. I act with mercy and justice and righteousness upon the earth. For in these things is my will, says the Lord. How do we know the mind of Christ? Because we see the will of the Lord, that he desires mercy justice and righteousness, that it calls us to walk humbly with him and to desire the things that he desires. How are we perfectly united in mind and thought when we come under the message of the cross in humility and we delight in the things that the Lord delights in? That's how we're perfectly united. You see, one day, 
I use this illustration some, um, and I hate to say it, but one day my parents won't be here anymore. But you know what will still be here with me is a part of who they are. Like there are things that I can't escape that are within me. They're just my dad. Like there are things that I say, things that I do, the way that uh, Jessica says, the way that I stand and like hold myself and cross my arms. She said, it looks just like your dad. It's, it's within me. And the reason that I do these things is because I am of my father. I, I know in a way, kind of to carry this illustration, the mind of my father. I've been raised in the ways of my father. And in somewhat by osmosis, it's just kind of ingrained itself in me. For those who are in Christ Jesus, what Paul says is that through the Spirit that we can have the mind of Christ and understand his ways. And for those who understand these things, that understand the Lord, that he delights in mercy, justice, and righteousness, you know the mind of Christ in that way. And it's by the Spirit these things are illuminated to you. You see, the church is the vehicle that God in his wisdom has chosen to proclaim his message. And it is through us seeking justice, mercy, and righteousness, loving one another, serving one another, that this message is proclaimed. Uh, I found this interesting. This is a letter uh, that was found in the second or third century. And it is speaking about the nature, the, the uniqueness of Christian community. Listen to how they describe it. It says this about Christians. They do not inhabit separate cities of their own or speak a strange dialect or follow some outlandish way of life. Their teaching is not based upon reveries inspired by the curiosity of men. Unlike some other people, they champion no purely human doctrine. With regard to dress, food, and manner of life in general, they follow the customs of whatever city they happen to be living in, whether it is Greek or or foreign. So what they're saying is that there's nothing necessarily out of the ordinary about Christians in this sense. They just blend into their communities. But yet he goes on, yet there is something extraordinary about their lives. They live in their own countries as though they were only passing through. They play their full role as citizens, but labor under all the disabilities of aliens. Any country can be their homeland but their homeland, wherever it may be, is a foreign country. Like others, they marry and have children, but they do not expose them. They share their meals, but not their wives. They live in the flesh, but are not governed by the flesh. Christians love all men, but all men persecute them, condemned because they are not understood. They are put to death, but raised to life again. They live in poverty, but enrich many. They are totally destitute, but possess an abundance of everything. They suffer dishonor, but that is their glory. I want to ask you this question to reflect on. If you went to bed tonight, and you woke up the next morning, and everyone in our church, we'll say, was perfectly united in mind and thought, what types of things do you think we would notice among our church first? What types of things do you think our community would notice first? Paul says this in Philippians chapter two. This united in mind and thought is not a new idea from Paul. He says this, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, 
if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. The mind of Christ is active in his humility. It's in his service. We identify our lives with Christ when we identify in the way of Christ, when we walk with him in those ways. So here are five reflections uh, on being perfectly united in mind and thought. First, Paul's message focuses on the cross. To be united in mind and thought as a church, we must be united under the cross daily, moment by moment. Remember our three confessions. I am my biggest problem. I am in need of rescue. I can't rescue myself. There is no one here in this room that can position themselves above one another. We are all in desperate need of Christ Jesus. When we gather in this way, it unites us in humility under the power and wisdom of Christ Jesus, who is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Number two, the cross of Christ confronts our boasting and changes our message. This should give us a level of empathy and love for those who are struggling in life. Not a mark of pride or position. We shouldn't get on, you know how we can get on Facebook sometimes and we can be jealous of that person that's taking that beach trip vacation or maybe they got the new truck or car and we just think, man, if I had a job like that, I could get that. Why didn't God bless me and blah, 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 blah. No, this, the message of the cross changes what we delight in. It changes our boasting. What we should see is who those within us around us who are hurting, struggling, in need, and it should bring us to them, not from them. It should bring us to their side, not in a position to say, well, at least I have it together. They're obviously struggling. I mean, I must be doing something right. No, that is not the message of the cross. The message of the cross is that we go to those brothers and sisters who are hurting in need. The third is that the meaning of wisdom is Christ crucified. Every Every week, uh, I'll just give you a little insight into John's mind. Every week, I, I struggle uh, to write sermons, to make them um, compelling, good, scriptural, uh, that are engaging, so people aren't just like falling asleep on the back row, like, that, can, that, are, uh, that expose the truth of Christ Jesus, that uh, leave us encouraged and wanting to go out. And you know what? It's hard. It's hard to do that. And I can get down on myself because of it. But you know what Paul is telling me as a pastor and as us is Paul says he came to the church not with eloquence or flowery speech. This is not a concert and a TED talk. We are coming to open the scriptures and read the scriptures. And Paul says that he came in weakness and trembling and in fear. He didn't have eloquent speech but just to open the scriptures to know Christ and him crucified. Our, our goal as we come in this morning is to know that, is to come under that, Christ and him crucified. And it can seem like this is just what we repeat over and over and over again, but that's exactly what Christ calls us to, to be so identified with this message that it changes and challenges every aspect of our lives. Amen. Number four, the cross of Christ is countercultural. Meaning, as believers, we don't value the things of this world. 
We don't value exalting ourselves, putting others in their place, reveling in our own ability. We do things that may appear foolish to some. We give away our money. We give away our resources. We give away our time. We give away our energy, all for the benefit of others. We open our homes and invite people in, even though it might get messy. We share one another's burdens. This is the mind of Christ who took on our ultimate burden. This is why one of the, the fruits of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, is hospitality. It's to open up our home to let others know and experience the love of Christ Jesus as we love and serve them. And number five, the social composition of the church should be a sign of God's wisdom, who is called the foolish, the weak, the low, and the despised. And this should uh, challenge us as we minister to this community in Tioga, as we minister to a community in South Grant. There are among us those who would be considered lowly, uh, despised, foolish, weak, whatever it is. In what way can we come along and serve these people? How do we do this? We have the mind of Christ. When we come under the message of the cross that is active and challenging for our lives. I wanna close in three ways. Three encouragements. Three pushing you out the door. Here's how we should examine our lives. You ready? First one. Every aspect of our lives is in submission to the Lord Jesus. There is nothing that submission to Jesus and his kingdom does not influence. From our work ethic to the way we spend our money, from our private lives to our public lives, Every aspect of our lives is in submission to him. And I just want to give you uh, this warning. Is Paul talks about, you know, who knows the mind of our brother. Uh, the spirit searches and knows all things. So this morning, if you have any allegiances to Egypt that you need to confess and lay down, this is where we come to. The confession to Christ Jesus is free and his gift is free. Forsake your Egypt and boast in the message of the cross. Every aspect of our lives is in submission to him. Second, to serve the vulnerable, to live out this active message of the cross, to serve the vulnerable, the weak, the despised, we must become vulnerable. Submission to the Lord Jesus calls us to lay down our lives for one another. Paul in Ephesians, he says this, follow God's example Therefore, as dearly loved children, walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for you as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Again, this is not biblical hyperbole. This is not an exaggerated statement. This is Paul's call for our lives, for us in Christ Jesus. And then third, obedience to Lord Jesus brings us to difficult places. Love your enemies Bless those who persecute you. Seek to know only Christ and him crucified in every aspect and area of our life. And when we do this, friends, when we do this as a church, when we seek to know this alone, when we forsake our Egypts and we draw close to one another, we don't boast in anything that we've done, but we boast in the Lord, then we will be united in what we say and perfectly united in our mind and thought and humility under Christ Jesus. Let's pray together.
<clears throat> Father, your word is hard and it's difficult for us. And if it were up to us, we'd have no might or ability to accomplish or do these things on our own. And so, Jesus, I pray uh, that confessing our Egypts or coming clean to you, uh, that's not an easy thing. Uh, but, Father, I pray that by the power of your Spirit that you, you compel us, that you move us to the safety and security of the cross. Father, help us to delight what it says in Jeremiah 9, that we know you and that we understand your will who delights in mercy, justice, and righteousness. Help us to be a church that delights in these things. Help us to not divide ourselves, but Father, by your spirit, be perfectly united in mind and thought because we have the mind of Christ. Help us to be as bold to pray that prayer, that as we live out the rest of this day, the rest of next week, when we are challenged with things that we do not know how to do, when we are challenged with difficult people or difficult circumstances, let us pray by your spirit, give us the mind of Christ even in this situation and circumstances for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.